Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The message of the cross is that there is not a single thing that any one of us could ever bring to God that would give us a basis for acceptance with God. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how bright you are. It does, none of those things matter. Those are not the basis for a right relationship with God. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31, in a message titled, The Message of the Cross. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So we're picking up in 1 Corinthians. That's where we are studying together here as a church. And our theme is everyday discipleship. So when we teach through different books of the Bible, we like to have a theme. And it's through the theme, we kind of use that as a lens to look at the passages that we're going through. So so that is the lens that we're looking at 1 Corinthians through, everyday discipleship. Now, in our previous teaching, we saw how divisions had occurred in the Corinthian church, and they were divisions that were centered around personalities. And it, but it wasn't the personalities themselves that were promoting these divisions. It was other people within the congregation. Some said, I'm of Paul. Some said, oh, I'm of Apollos. And some said, well, I'm of Peter. And some even said, well, I'm of Jesus. And of course, Paul and Apollos and Peter and obviously Jesus, they they weren't involved in this, but people were creating these little sort of personality cults and things around their names. And we're, we're kind of just modeling what they had seen in the world. So what we have is the world culture is creeping into the church. And they're divided over, like I said, these personalities. And they're also thinking about just cultural acceptance in the sense of what the culture deems as important. And so one of the things that was huge in the Corinthian culture was like philosophical ideas and how to speak properly. So in those days, there were people who were known as rhetoricians. So their specialty was rhetoric. And what they were known for was their ability to speak. The content didn't even so much matter. It was the way they said it. It was the words they used. And they they became like celebrities. They would go into a town and they would, you know, speak on a certain topic at a certain time and place and people would come together and they're like, wow. You know, so they, they had a celebrity position in the culture. So the Corinthians are adopting that. They're, they're trying to bring that kind of stuff 
into the church. And so that's why Paul in verse 17 says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And then he adds this, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So you see, that was their big emphasis, eloquence and the wisdom and all of this. They were wanting the leaders of the church to be seen like that because it gave them a sense of pride, gave them a sense of, man, we were really somebody. And so Paul's whole point in the passage that we read together is to show them how that is the exact opposite of the way God views things. It's it's the exact opposite of the way we as believers should view things and the way we as believers together should conduct ourselves. And so the gospel itself and the, the fact that the Corinthians were participants of it, the gospel shows God's disregard for for the things people think are important or, or make the priority. So Jesus said this at one point. He said, the things that are highly esteemed among, among people are an abomination to God. So in other words, all the things that make up uh, society that divide people into categories and things like that and put one group of people over the other, make them superior, those kinds of things. Those are things that God finds that detestable. And what we have here is that is the mentality that is creeping into the church. So the world then and the world now tends to think of people in two categories, the somebodies and the nobodies. That's what's creeping in. The church is a place where these categories should never exist. That's the thing. They they should never exist in the church. And what the Corinthians are doing is they're creating these kinds of things. So this is the in-group. Man, if if you're part of this group that follows Apollos, then you're part of the in-group. Oh, the rest of you, you're on the outs. You're not really important. So as far as God's concerned, these categories do not exist. People create these categories, but God does not acknowledge these as existing. N.T. Wright, I've quoted N.T. Wright on a number of occasions. He is a, he writes commentaries on the Bible, among other things. But he put it this way. He said, every human being, man, woman, and child, and even unborn child, bears the image and likeness of God and has neither more nor less dignity because some other people have heard of them, look up to them, or think they are special. That's the way God sees everything. We, have, we all have a dignity, built-in dignity, because we're image bearers. We're created in the image of God. And that is as far as it goes, as, as far as God is concerned. Now, What Paul is really going to get at here is that unless the Corinthians understand that God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom, 
You know what I mean when I say that, right? An upside down kingdom. In other words, the way things operate in the kingdom of God, because of the way God views things, it's usually just like the complete opposite of the way the world is. Jesus, remember that one time where Jesus says to his own disciples who are vying for position, they're, you know, fighting like, well, who's really the most important of us all? And Jesus says, you know, uh, this is the way the Gentiles function. The, the Gentiles think of their great ones. They're the ones that have dominion over others and so forth. But what did Jesus say? He said, it shall not be the case among you. But the one who is the greatest among you shall actually be the servant of all. So Jesus just flips it on its head. So that's why... I'm saying that God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom, and unless the Corinthians understand that, they will keep trying to impress the world, trying to be someone in the eyes of the world, and in doing so, they will tear themselves apart and forfeit the power and wisdom of God that their culture so desperately needs. See, this was the issue. And Paul said it. He said, there are these divisions among you. And I pointed out previously how that word, it, it could be translated, there, there are these tears. And so through creating these groups of somebodies and nobodies, they're in danger of ripping the body of Christ apart. And in doing so, failing to fulfill the mission for which the church came into existence, the mission to reach all people. Now, Paul is going to show them through two things why they should never travel down the path of self-importance. And the two things are, number one, that the gospel itself is intended to humble human pride. You know, really, a proud Christian is like, talk about an oxymoron. I mean, that is like so antithetical to what a Christian is to be. So when you see, you know, a person who is a Christian, maybe it's a Christian leader, and you see a lot of arrogance, you think, wait, how, how did they miss this? Because this is a, a key feature. Jesus himself says about himself, I am gentle and humble in heart. If Jesus is gentle and humble in heart, who are any one of his servants to think that we are somebody? Now, so the gospel itself is intended to humble human pride. And secondly, the second thing Paul's going to use is the Corinthians themselves. They are living proof that God has no need of human excellence and that he is drawn to humility and weakness. So he's going to bring them back around to remind them of how their very existence as a Christian church contradicts the mentality that, that they've now adopted. So that's how we're going to look at it. And Paul does it by, first of all, defining the message of the cross. So let me read in verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So the message of the cross to some 
it is foolishness. In a second, you're going to see why. But to others, it is the power of God. But the question is this, what is it? What really is the message of the cross? In other words, what is the cross communicating? Now, when we say the cross, we do not generally think of the cross the way a first century person would think of it. When we understand the nature of the cross, then we'll understand what the message of the cross was. Now, I'm going to quote to you from a man named Gordon Fee. He said this, and I think this is an excellent description of the message of the cross. He said, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Not a single thing that any of us possesses will advantage him or her before the living God. Not brilliance, clout, achievement, money, or prestige. In the cross, God declared that he has forever ruled out every imaginable human system of gaining his favor. It is all. Trust him completely or it is nothing. That's the message of the cross. The message of the cross is that there is not a single thing that any one of us could ever bring to God that would give us a basis for acceptance with God. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how bright you are. It does, none of those things matter. Those are not the basis for a right relationship with God. He, Paul goes on to say, and he says here in the following sentence, he says, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Now, the foolishness of what was preached in some of the translations, and I know this is true in the New King James for sure, the emphasis is on the word preached. So it's through uh, the foolishness of preaching that God chose to save those who would be saved. The emphasis there is on the wrong place because it's not the preaching that's the foolish thing, it's the message that is preached. And so here, this is the correct way to understand it, through the foolishness of what was preached. So what was being preached? When, the, when they went out into the world, what were they preaching? What were they saying? Well, we know they were talking about Jesus dying on a cross, right? But, but what did that sound like to the ears of those who heard it? What they were saying was this, a crucified Jew who is also God is the savior of the world. So many contradictions in this statement. So for us, we who, especially us who are believers, we read that and go, well, of course, that's exactly what they were preaching. And what's the problem with that? Well, the problem was many for the people who heard it. Now, for a Greek, the first problem is we're talking about a Jew as the savior of the world. That right in and of itself is problematic and then you add this idea of a crucifixion to it, it's like, this is absurd. This is out of the question. Now, the Jews, on the other hand, they weren't averse to the idea that a Jew would save the world, but they were averse to the idea that the Jew was God and that he was crucified. Because in the mind of the Jew, Messiah and crucifixion, they cannot be stated in the same sentence. It's a complete contradiction. So 
One writer said it this way, death on a cross was regarded in Roman society as brutal, disgusting, and abhorrent. It was reserved for convicted slaves and convicted terrorists and could never be imposed upon a Roman citizen or more respectable criminals. It was so offensive to good taste that crucifixion was never mentioned in polite society except through the use of euphemisms. For Gentiles who might imagine a divine savior figure and for Jews who expected a Messiah anointed with power and majesty, the notion of a crucified Christ, a Messiah on the cross, was an affront and an outrage. So it was an affront and an outrage. They're preaching a message like this. I mean, it, it, it became clear that this message either sounded like the most foolish thing that anybody could ever come up with, but for some, they understood it as the, this is the power of God to salvation. Some actually got it. Of course, the, the Holy Spirit working to convict them. But that is the message of the cross. So God never intended to impress people with his wisdom or send his servants out to to impress people with their knowledge and their wisdom and, and things like that. He's doing the exact opposite of that. He's dismissing all of that. And he is bringing... Now, one of the things Paul's doing here is he's contrasting God's wisdom with human wisdom. And so this is the contrast. And so listen to what Paul goes on to say. He says, for since... Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. For Jews demand a sign, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For, listen to verse 25, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The foolishness of God. Now, Paul is, he's in a sense, he's, he's using their own methods against them. He's using irony here. So when he's talking about the foolishness of God or the weakness of God, of course, you know, some people would see this as highly offensive. How dare Paul say something like that? Paul doesn't think God is foolish. Paul doesn't think God is weak. But what he's doing is he's just wanting to show them that even if it were foolish and weak, it's still greater than anything that, that humanity could ever produce. So the, God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Think of it. Human wisdom has never saved a single person. Human wisdom has never saved a single person, but God's wisdom saves all who believe. Now, human wisdom, we're talking about all the accumulated information, the knowledge, the philosophies, and all of those things down through the ages. Back in the fourth century, Athanasius, who was a theologian in the fourth century, who back in those days, uh, you know, defended the faith and contended against the philosophers of the day and so forth, 
he wrote about the philosophers and he said something that was very interesting in his day. He said the philosophers are all concerned with the right words and things like that. And he said something to the effect that not only did they not even understand what they were talking about, but no one else had any idea what they were talking about. And one of the points that he makes is because it was so esoteric and so out of touch with anything that, you know, sort of boots on the ground life, most people just ignored the philosophers. They just thought that, well, these people, they're, they're kind of in their own world over there. They're never going to do anything to help us. But the wisdom of God through the cross saves all who believe. So all that the philosophers thought they were going to do through their philosophical arguments, they're going to give people a better life. They're going to give them greater insights that are going to help them to you know, be pr- more productive or more peaceful or more, you know, whatever the case might be. It never produced anything. But this wisdom of God through the cross literally transformed the lives of millions of people. So the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Human strength never broke a single chain of sin. Human strength has never put to flight even one devil. But Christ, through the gospel, he has broken the power of sin over the lives of, again, millions upon millions upon millions of people. He's liberated people from the bondage that the spirit world, the demons and the devil have held people in. And Paul reminds us of that in Colossians 2.15, having disarmed powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So, you know, the proof is in the outcome of the message. So all of this philosophizing and all of this does little to nothing to ever really change anything. The gospel comes with its power and it radically changes. It transforms. It turns people around. It literally makes people into new people. That's the amazing thing about the gospel. But it's so simple. Christ died. This Jewish man who was also God died on a cross to pay for the sins of the world and anyone and everyone who put their hope and their trust in him, they are saved. And that means a new life and a new destiny. Isn't that wonderful? It's so simple. God has made it so simple. So the Corinthians, the problem with the Corinthians again is they're forgetting this simple message and they're trying to complicate it. They're trying to make it Because philosophy's big in their culture, they're trying to feel like, well, you know, we're right there with the philosophers. We've got our own philosophy. And Jesus is our philosopher. And Paul and Peter and Apollos, you know, they're, they're like the disciples of Jesus, like, you know, Plato had disciples. So they're trying to turn this thing into something that it's never intended to be.
And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. Hi, Pastor Brian here. One of my favorite subjects is that of apologetics. And it's so important to know what we believe and to also know why we believe what we believe. So I want to recommend a fantastic book, a book by Paul E. Little that is called Know Why You Believe. And this book's been around for quite a few years And he does just a real great job in simply laying out arguments for why we believe in God, why we believe Jesus rose from the dead, why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. And I think that this is something that every Christian ought to educate themselves in. So I want to recommend Paul E. Little's book, Know Why You Believe. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. You can order the book Know Why You Believe by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.